The scripture reading is from the book of Acts, chapter 28, verses 1 to 10. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, This man must be a murderer, for though he escaped from the sea, justice has not allowed him to live. But Paul shook the snake off in the, into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or suddenly fall dead. And after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed, welcomed us to his home and for three days entertained us hospitably. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him and after prayer placed his hands on him and healed him. When this has happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. They honoured us in many ways, and when we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So thank you, Tim, and thank you, Anne. Um, we are looking, we're continuing to look this morning at our series of key words from our mission statement. And so we're continuing to think about that word, welcome. And we're particularly focusing this morning on the idea of generous hospitality. And the story that uh, Tim's just read from us, uh, to us from Acts 28 features two particular examples of hospitality. So the Apostle Paul and those who are with him have been shipwrecked. And first of all, the ordinary folk of Malta. And then secondly, the island's chief official, a man called Publius, offer hospitality to Paul and to those with him. It's worth beginning just by putting this particular story in context so that we know why Paul was in this situation in the first place. Several chapters earlier in Acts, Paul, as was his way, had been causing something of a stir in Caesarea. And in scenes that are actually quite reminiscent of the trials that Jesus himself faced, Paul was accused by the Jewish authorities and they brought him before the Roman governor. He was tried originally by a governor called Felix and then by Felix's successor, Festus. Neither of them really could find out what, what Paul was supposed to have done wrong. They couldn't really identify a crime that he'd committed. And so they ended up leaving him languishing in prison, partly because they didn't know what to do with him and partly because he wasn't prepared to offer them a bribe to get out. Eventually, Festus tries to pass the buck to, ki to King Agrippa. And at that point, Paul sort of got them out of their difficulty by exercising his right as a Roman citizen to appeal to Caesar. So Paul was packed off to Rome to appear before the emperor himself. Even though, as King Agrippa says, as we see at the end of chapter 26, this man, Paul, could have been set free if he'd not appealed to Caesar. 
So although Paul was traveling to Rome as a prisoner, the authorities who were sending him don't really seem to have thought him guilty of anything. And therefore, he does appear to have been afforded some privileges and treated in a fairly lenient way. So some of his friends and associates traveled with him, including Luke, who's written the story for us. At a place called Sidon, Paul was allowed to see his friends so that they could provide for him. Paul seems to have found favor with the ship's crew, partly because he demonstrated some qualities of practical seamanship and also because it was clear that he was a man on whom God's favor rested. This map shows the journey. Traveling westwards across the Mediterranean at certain times of year was quite risky. And setting sail from Crete, which is in the middle of the picture, at this particular time of year probably wasn't a good idea. And hence the ship ends up running aground and they're shipwrecked close to the island of Malta. The soldiers who were guarding Paul planned to kill all of the prisoners to stop them escaping. But there's a particular centurion who is in charge of Paul and who ensured that his life was spared. So even at this point, God was looking after Paul. And then there are two illustrations of hospitality. First of all, we're told that the islanders showed them unusual kindness and built a fire and welcomed them. And then Publius, the chief official of the island, opened up his home and entertained them for three days. Now, the author of the book of Acts is Luke, who we know to have been a doctor. And using his physician's eye for detail, he records some medical details about the story. So when Paul is helping the Maltese to build a fire, he picks up something that he thinks is a stick of brushwood, and it turns out to be a snake. He shakes it off into the fire. The people watch anxiously. They think that if Paul has been poisoned by the snake, then that's proof that he's a murderer. They wait a while and then they see that he's suffered no ill effects. And so they then swing to the other extreme and call him a god. Continuing the medical theme, Luke records that Publius's father is ill, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul lays hands on him and heals him. And many other sick people also come from the island to be healed. It is quite possible that the islanders on Malta were quite used to having to look after people in this position, shipwrecked sailors, because of their island's position in the Mediterranean. Indeed, the name Malta, or Melita, as some versions of the Bible have it, comes from a Phoenician word which means refuge. We'll come back in a minute to these particular stories of hospitality and we'll see what we can learn from them. But of course the Bible has plenty else to say about hospitality. This is a verse from 1 Timothy chapter 3 verse 2. Hospitality is a quality that overseers or sometimes known as bishops are expected to display. The overseer must be above reproach 
the husband of but one wife, temperate, self-controlled, respectable, hospitable, able to teach. And Titus 1, verse 8, an overseer must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who's self-controlled, upright, holy, and disciplined. And sometimes when we look at the Bible uh, as a whole, and the New Testament in particular, we can see that there are two different, perhaps two different types of hospitality. First of all, there's hospitality within the fellowship of believers. So Romans 12, verses 12 and 13 tells us, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer, share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And then again, 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, above all, love each other deeply, because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. These verses speak of fellowship. When you get together with fellow believers, over, perhaps over a meal or because you've offered hospitality in your own home, there's a particular bond, a particular opportunity for sharing ourselves, which it's hard to replicate in any other setting. So I would encourage you to offer hospitality to those within the fellowship. I think in a week or two's time, we're going to be repeating something that we tried uh, a few months ago, where we encouraged people to have lunch with each other on a Sunday. And there were sheets to sign up if you were able to offer hospitality or if you'd like to be hosted. When that opportunity comes around, do sign up and either offer hospitality or receive it. But there's another kind of hospitality which the Bible talks about, which is that offered to strangers. I looked up the word hospitality in a Bible dictionary, and the very first thing it said was this. Throughout Scripture, the responsibility for caring for the traveler and those in need is largely taken for granted. The responsibility of caring for the traveler and those in need is largely taken for granted. Now, you might say, well, that's partly because of the nature of the societies in which the Bible is set. Many of the key events in the Old Testament in particular took place in nomadic communities. People were used to traveling. People moved around with their flocks, perhaps trying to find good pasture, moving to lands which were perhaps more fertile for their crops. But even in New Testament times, many occupations involved more of a wandering existence than we would think of as usual today. And I'm sure we can all think of parts of the world where there's an itinerant population and where that concern for hospitality is perhaps more part of the prevailing culture. Caring for the traveler and for those in need. Paul and his fellow prisoners and Luke and whoever else was with them were travelers and they were also in need. So let's have a closer look at how the Maltese Islanders offered hospitality to them. 
Now, as I've said, it might be that the Maltese islanders were, were used to having to do this because it's a place in the Mediterranean where clearly there was the, the um, potential for shipwrecks. But where, whatever, they, they quickly swung into action. First of all, they met the immediate need of these travelers. It was wet and cold, so they lit a fire. They allowed Paul to help with the task, and that's when he picked up the snake. And the way in which the islanders then waited to see what would happen shows that they weren't naive. If Paul had been a murderer, then they would have been justifiably wary about welcoming him into their midst. So being welcoming and being hospitable doesn't necessarily mean that we have to completely suspend judgment about those who were entertaining. Publius then welcomes Paul's group into his own home and he entertains them for three days. Now we've got no reason to know or no reason to think that Publius knew who Paul was. Maybe the centurion told him but we don't know. It's probable that to Publius, Paul was just a man in need, a man who'd been shipwrecked. But nevertheless, Publius is generous in his hospitality and he opens up his home. Then, of course, Publius and his family and the community get an unexpected reward. Publius's father is ill and Paul heals him. And sometimes when hospitality is offered, those who offer it do get a reward. So in Hebrews 13, we read, keep on loving each other as brothers. Do not forget to entertain strangers, for by doing so, some people have entertained angels without knowing it. A reference to Abraham and Sarah who met and fed and offered hospitality to some travelers who turned out to be angels and as a consequence they were richly blessed by God. Would it be wrong to offer hospitality just to get a reward? Well, probably it would, yes. But when the Bible tells us about people who offer hospitality being blessed, it's not so much a reward but more of simply a natural consequence. If the responsibility of caring for the traveler and for those in need is largely taken for granted in the Bible, then the fact that those who offer hospitality are themselves blessed is really what we should expect, isn't it? It's a natural consequence of that generous act of hospitality. Those who are hospitable don't do it because they're actually seeking something in return, but it often does bring its own reward. And there's a yet more important point here, which is that the extent to which we offer hospitality is often an indication of our response to the call of God. When Jesus sent out the 72 disciples to spread the word, recorded by Luke again, in, this time in chapter 10 of his gospel, Jesus tells them not to take even a purse or sandals with them. So Jesus is obviously expecting those who respond positively and enthusiastically to the gospel 
expecting them to offer hospitality to those who've brought the gospel to them. And when Jesus tells the parable of the sheep and the goats, the righteous people say, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go to visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth. Whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. But of course, the chilling flip side of that is that if we don't do those things for those in need, then we don't do it for him either. So what about us? Well, of course, we don't get many shipwrecks in Shirley. And probably we don't get too many strangers traveling through either who are in need of hospitality. They're probably at the travel lodge or the Premier Inn instead. But there are people who come by us who are maybe on a different type of journey. Perhaps they're on a spiritual journey. Perhaps they're looking for a church. Maybe they're just trying to find some sort of spiritual meaning to their lives. Just think how valuable it would be for us to offer hospitality to people in those circumstances. Offering hospitality says, we care about you. We accept you. We want to share what we have and who we are with you. So what form can this hospitality take? Well, we're not all Michelin-starred chefs, and it doesn't have to be a grand dinner party. It might just be a cup of tea. I heard a story once about a man who'd become a Christian through the ministry of a local Church of England church. And the local vicar said he'd like to pop round and see this man, just have a cup of tea and a chat, to tell him about the church and to encourage him in his faith. And the man went out to buy a tablecloth because he thought that you had to be posh to have the vicar around for tea. How sad is that? Be yourself. When you offer hospitality, what's important is the quality of the welcome, not the quality of what's on the table. Home groups are another expression of hospitality. Yes, they're helpful for Bible study and prayer, but also a key part of home groups is the fellowship of the group, the opportunity of some group members to offer hospitality in their own homes. But your circumstances might be such that you can't offer hospitality in your own home. Maybe you have a very small home, maybe you have a home that's far away and not easily accessible, or maybe your personal circumstances at home don't enable you to invite people to your own home. You can still be hospitable. You can perhaps invite someone to join you for a cup of coffee and a cake at Kairos. That's hospitality. When we read what the Bible has to say about hospitality, it's very obvious that it's something that we should do. So what is it that holds us back? Partly, of course, it's our culture. We don't, we don't live in a nomadic society. 
lonely travellers are not normal. In fact, they're often seen as a reason to be suspicious or fearful. Our society is increasingly individualistic. People can work from home. Our entertainment involves sitting in front of our own TV behind closed doors with a takeaway meal. We increasingly communicate not face-to-face, -face, but by text or email or other forms of messaging. And our individualistic lifestyles infect our faith too. We do worship, we pray, we read our Bibles, but often as individuals, not corporately, not as a community. So when we do have events here like the regular singles lunches or bring and share lunches or the lunch in the park next Sunday, not only are they a great opportunity to share fellowship together, but in today's world they are profoundly countercultural events. So let's praise God for those opportunities. Let's thank him for those who work hard to, pre to prepare and to produce those sorts of events and let's make the most of them. The verse we looked at earlier from 1 Peter said that we should offer hospitality without grumbling. Why would we grumble? We would grumble only because our culture regards providing hospitality, especially to those who are strangers, as a burden. It shouldn't be a burden. We shouldn't even regard it as a duty, although maybe it is one we ought to regard it as a joyful opportunity. Not a burden, it's only a burden, only a cause for grumbling if we value our own privacy and our own independence more than the need to love and care for those in need. 